Now we're interested in the story itself in more depth. So let's turn to Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which I have found to be excellent in the Old Testament. I haven't done much work in the new, but I have a, a brand new one here because I so worked over my first first one that I I didn't want to bring it because it, I couldn't even read it with all my notes in it. So the Christian Standard Bible is what I'm reading from. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up! Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. Where have you heard anything like that before? A great city where the wickedness of the city had confronted God. Not those exact words, but Sodom and Gomorrah, right. Very much the same kind of, a, of language. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. What's left of them is now underneath the Dead Sea or the deposits of salt that they've covered over. All right. So their wickedness has confronted me. In other words, it's come up in, in the God's, God's picturing himself as a human being. Uh, this didn't confront God suddenly uh, out of the blue, but uh, this, is, this is what we call anthropomorphism. You know, what is an anthropomorphism? Oh, come on, you know the answer. A picture of God in the form of a man. Talking about God as if he were a human being. That's right. And the reason for that is in order to help us understand more about God. It's not that God is surprised by the wickedness of this city that suddenly came up before him or anything like Sodom or Gomorrah. He's surprised at how bad it got. It's telling us more about ourselves and our wickedness than it is telling us about God. It's saying, here's how God looks at the situation if he were a human being. That's how he would respond to it. The wickedness is so great that it's, it's, it's become an issue. It's come up before God. That's the point. It's become an issue before God. Now, it was always an issue before God, but if he were a man, it would be like suddenly uh, things got so bad that, that he couldn't avoid it any longer, and it, it suddenly became a real problem he had to deal with. So, that's what it's telling us, that, that the, the situation had gotten so bad, telling us about Nineveh, it isn't telling us about God so much as about Nineveh. But the fact that God's going to deal with a city like that. However, now notice he says, get up, go to the city, preach against it because they're wicked. However, Jonah got up. He got up all right. He, he wasn't going to stay where he was. To flee to, to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now that's a strange thing for anybody to try to do. To flee from the presence of the Lord. If we look at Psalm 139, verses 7 to 9, where the psalmist says, where will I go to flee from the Lord? If I go here, he's there. If I go there, he's there. If I go somewhere else, he's there. There's nowhere I can go and avoid God. But for some reason or other, Jonah thought he could, and uh, maybe he was learn learning himself. We don't know, but he tried to get away from this assignment. He didn't want this assignment. As a prophet, 
He had been a faithful prophet up until that time, but now to go to Nineveh and preach against them, he knew that God was a God of grace and a God of mercy. And he was, he was afraid that they might repent. That's what he didn't want to happen. So, he goes the other direction. It wasn't that he was afraid of Nineveh. No, it, it was he didn't want them to repent. So he got out of there. And he went down to Joppa. There's the city, the seaport, on the edge of the seacoast of Palestine. If you keep going down, let's see, it's the other way. If you keep going down, there's Carmel. And then you go down like this, and Joppa's way down here, almost to where you get to Gaza. And so it's down in that, that section. Uh, the only seaport the Hebrews had. The Hebrews were not seafaring people, by the way. They were agrarian people. They lived on the land and they, they were farmers largely and uh, fruit growers and that kind of thing. Alright? He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. Paid the fare. Even cost him money to get out of, out of this job. And went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Okay, that's, that's the picture that we have. His intended flight. Then, the Lord, here's the first one of those six, first one of those six providential statements. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea. You might think that that's modern translation trying to uh, uh, make it sound more dramatic than it was. But that's what the Hebrew actually says, that he hurled it. He hurled that storm onto the sea. Whipped the sea up. We don't have anything like that going out there now. Thank but you. it will whipped it up terribly. Thank you. Pardon me? Thank you. We don't have anything. Oh yeah, I'm very glad that we don't. Yes, that's right. Thank the Lord we don't have one like this. It was a violent storm, it says arose on the sea. The ship threatened to break apart. Now, the sailors were afraid, it says. And when you've got sailors who are, are men who sailed regularly from Joppa all the way over to Tarshish in Spain. That distance was the distance of the Mediterranean, the whole, whole length of it. And the Mediterranean can get serious uh, at times. And, and this was about as serious as it could be. When you get, when you get sailors afraid uh, like these men were, you know it was a bad one. We were on the Mediterranean one time and there was a little storm up in the Adriatic, they said. And boy, the ships, there wasn't anybody on, on, on the ship who wasn't hanging over the rail. <laughs> and so, um, literally, there were people having a hard time of it. So it could be bad. And it says that the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. So we had a variety of backgrounds here among these sailors. Though the basic sailing... Uh, enterprise going out of Joppa over to Tarshish and back to Joppa uh, was a Phoenician ent enterprise because the Phoenicians were the great sailors of the early world. Some people think they sailed out into the uh, Atlantic Ocean and all the way down around the coast of Africa and so on. Uh, there, there's some evidence that the Phoenician background of that happening. So these were tremendous sailors and yet these men are afraid it must have been pretty bad. So they threw the ship's cargo 
into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now, we knew Jesus could sleep during a, hard, a serious storm because uh, he had everything in control and he knew, <laughs> he knew it was in control and uh, so no reason for him not to but Jonah's asleep in this this violent storm. What made, I don't know why, but what kind of suggestions would you have as to why he might be able to go to sleep? He thinks he's going away from trouble rather than being in trouble. Well, yeah. He was trying to get away from what he didn't like. That's right. What else? There might be several reasons for this. Well, he, he had to go down to Chapa. We don't know how he got there. Maybe he walked by foot. He might have been terribly tired by the time, as well as all the experience and worry about the, what was happening, if he could really flee from God, and all those things, you know, that you, you're talking about. You're trying to get away from it. Well, all this probably was involved in there. By the time he hit that boat, he was probably so tired that he paid the fare and went down to the hold and went to sleep. Anyway, he slept through it. That's all we know. And the word here for deep sleep is the same, it, it, it's the word for, for uh, uh, that was used about Adam and Eve. When God operated on Adam and uh, brought Eve out of the pit, out of Adam uh, in terms of a, a rib uh, who was going to fashion into a, a woman for him. Uh, what happened? He put Adam into a deep sleep, and that's the same word. Had to be pretty good. That was, you know, good anesthetic uh, sleep here. That uh, so you could operate on Adam, and that's the same word. So the captain approached him and said, "What in the world? Not what are you doing? Sound asleep? Get up! Call to your God." They were all calling to different <laughs> gods, and he says, "Call to your God." Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Now, that afforded what? Witness. Pardon me? Opportunity to, witness. opportunity to witness, but Jonah wasn't looking for an opportunity to witness so much, I guess. To repent. Pardon me? To repent. To repent. To repent? Well, yeah, opportunity for that too, yeah. But I'm thinking of something else. I'm, you know, I'm not saying all these things are wrong. I'm just telling you what I'm thinking about. For uh, God to show himself. Pardon me? For God to show himself in this. He said, pray your God. And this was kind of a God challenge to God. That's what I had in mind. It's sort of a challenge. All these other gods are... And that, that's why I, maybe Jonah was asleep. So that when he called on his God, it was separate from all the other gods that they were supposed gods that they were calling on. And so we know that this one was the one that produced the results rather than this whole mass of people who... So Jonah was at least separate. Whether that was the reason why he was asleep or not, we don't know. But at any rate, uh, it gave a challenge to Jonah about his God, the true God. Well, it's interesting to see what happens. Come on. The sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, 
And the lot singled out Jonah. John, Jonah won the lottery. <laughs> what do you know? It's very appropriate for this ship. Not exactly the lottery he wanted to win. Okay. So then they said to Jonah, to him rather, tell us who's to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you from? So that they start to quiz him up one side and down the other. You know, tell us all about this. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence. Either he had just told them in this brief summary or he had told them when he got on the boat. Doesn't, we don't know. But they knew it because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you to come this sea that's against us? For the sea was getting worse and still worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, so it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Now it's probably, uh, as you think at first sight, the most noble thing that Jonah said, but it isn't. It isn't the most noble thing that he said. Because if you look over a little bit, the fourth chapter, let's see if I can find it right off. Here it is. Jonah was, 4, 1, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while well, I was still in my own country? That's why I fled from Tarshish. I know you're a merciful God and a compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, one who relents from descending disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah was, from the beginning, had the idea it's better for me to die than to live. So this isn't a noble thing on Jonah's part to say, throw me overboard. There's no reason for you guys to to be in trouble because of me, but I, I just as leave go overboard anyway because I can see the Lord's at it and, and I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So get rid of me. It's another attempt to flee from God. Alright. Nevertheless, the men are more noble than Job, uh, Jonah, however. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not because the sea was raging against them more and more. 